0: Good morning, everybody. You doing okay? All right. I hope you're awake out there. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, please take it and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. If you don't have one, that's fine. We have it on the screen here in just a second. Acts chapter 1. Um, <clears throat> Easter, last week, last Sunday. It feels, for some of us, it feels like just yesterday. Some of us, it feels like, man, it's been a while since then. Um, I, if you leave, once Easter has happened, you go into a grocery store, a pharmacy, what have you. They have this aisle that is filled with that candy that was full price just hours ago, and now it is 50 to 75% off. And if you go this week, it'll probably be 95% off, and it'll just be stickers with, like, popsicles on it. I don't know. Hey, Amen. all right. Uh, and that's, and you, can, you can Cadbury egg it up. You can get your peep on. If you get a peep, it'll never go bad, Okay. And if you ate it 10 years from now, it'll still be fine, okay? Maybe a little bit more crispy. But I, I, I think about this. And then if you look right after that, one, once that aisle, in fact, as that aisle is being cleared out of all that Easter candy, they have the next holiday stuff moving in, which now they're doing 4th of July. That's a whiles away. But soon, and if you go to Hobby Lobby, they have Christmas like 11 and a half months a year okay? And I don't go to Hobby Lobby as a hobby. That's my wife's hobby, okay? She likes that store, all right? And I just, but if you go in there, it's like, have you noticed that we're on this like continual cycle? It's like we're on the hamster wheel of holidays. It just never ends, and as soon as one's over, the other one begins, and da-da-da-da-da. It's exhausting, isn't it? It is to me. I'm like, oh, man, now I got to get ready for Valentine's Day. It just happened, but I got to start buying hearts now. And if you miss Valentine's Day, and you're like, oh, no, as soon as I said that, it's not too late, okay? You can make up for it. I want you to think about this, that, that we are on this continual cycle. It seems like it never stops, but I want you to get something. The Christian faith has Easter on loop. It just is, that's, that's our big deal is what Jesus did on Easter, he rose. In fact, we meet together, and the church has for thousands of years met together on what the Bible calls the Lord's Day on Sunday to worship. You know why? Because he rose on Sunday. So every time his believers, his people get together on Sunday to worship, we are celebrating his resurrection, that he was dead and now he's alive, that he was the perfect sacrifice of sin for sin, that he died, and then to, to prove and to show that God accepted his sacrifice, he arose. And today we see that he has ascended. And so what we've been doing for the last several, several months here at this church, is to catch you back up in case it's your first time in a while, or it's your first time ever, welcome. We've been walking through what the storyline of the Bible is. We've talked about it this way. And, and, and why we've been doing that is because it helps us understand, number one, the Bible, because it has some very interesting things in it, doesn't it? very strange things at times. You go from, you know, the creation account, then all of a sudden you get to Leviticus, and there's all these laws, and they're talking about building a fence around your roof, and they're talking about bodily discharges, and you're like, hold the phone. What are we talking about, okay? And then you get the Easter story and the New Testament starting. What is going on? And so we help to, to understand the Bible and to really understand the world, because have you noticed this about the world? The world is an incredibly beautiful place. It's a place of great, pleasures. I mean, you need no, look no further than this weather this week, even though it has been very ADD, okay? Cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, okay? You need to look no more farther than, than yesterday afternoon to see how beautiful this world is. But this world is violently and awfully broken. You need to look no further than the mirror to find that out but then you look on the news and you say, so how do we make sense of this? And the Bible helps us by letting us know that God created everything, and and he created everything, and he called it good, and he created man in his image. But our first parents, and we in them, we sin together. Our first parents sinned, they'd mistrusted God, they believed this serpent, this fallen angel, the devil, they believed him rather than believe God, and because that sin and death entered into the world. But God gave us a good promise, even right after our first parents sinned. He says, from the seed of the woman will come the one who will crush the head of the serpent, the serpent being Satan. Jesus, while he was being crushed, was crushing the head of Satan. And because of that, Because he died on our behalf, bearing the wrath of sin, wrath of God for sin, and that he arose, and that God accepted that sacrifice, we can have redemption. So the story we've been following is creation, man's sin or fall, redemption through Christ. And then we get to this place of restoration, where all that is broken will be made right. But we're at the time in between that. When redemption is here and restoration is coming, and here's our mission, and Jesus gives it to us in this passage. Look with me in Acts chapter 1. Acts is a companion book to Luke's gospel, okay? We're going to read this, okay? In the first book, O Theophilus, that's the person that Luke's writing to. That is the guy's name. That is a bad name. If your name is Theophilus and I just offended you, I'm very sorry. I'm also very sorry your name was Theophilus, okay? I have dealt... In this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So in the Gospel of Luke, it outlines who Jesus is and what he taught and what he has done. Okay, that's what all the gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give an account for those who, 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 to hear it of what Jesus has done. And so he's saying that that's what he did. In, in verse 2 it says, until the day when he was taken up after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. This is kind of an introduction. In verse 3 it says, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. He ate fish. He had a doubting guy touch his side and the nail prints in his hand, or he offered it at least. And he says this going on. He says, and while, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized, talking about John the Baptist, he baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so we get to verse 6, and this is the disciples And they're waiting for Jesus. Jesus is going to appear to them. They're going to ask him a question. This is the last chance they get to talk to him before his ascension. They're going to to ask a question. He's going to give an answer. And then they're going to watch him ascend. And that's where we are today. In verse 6 it says this. So then, so when they had come together, talking about the disciples and the apostles and those with them, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Remember we talked about creation, fall, redemption, restoration. They're asking a question of restoration. They want to know when things are going to be made right. And they're asking it with a Jewish mindset, okay? They're asking it in this sense. They still are hung up on the Messiah, Jesus, the one who is to come. Remember, Christ is not his last name. It's his title. It's he's the chosen one of God who has been sent to to make things right, to restore the people of Israel, to preach salvation, to bring salvation. So he shows up on the scene. They're still expecting a militant Messiah. Remember, Jesus let him down because instead of showing up in an armored car, he shows up in a pinto, like, like a donkey. I mean, you can almost hear that. You're expecting a warlord, and they got a humble servant who's come to suffer. And they still aren't seeing it. They're, things will be made clear when the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. But until this time, they are wondering, God, Jesus, is this the time? Is this the time where you're going to take the Roman oppressors and remove them? And is this the time where you're going to restore Israel to a kingdom? And is this the time where we're going to see the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, come in and believe in you? Or is this the time where you're going to make everything right? Don't we long for the time that, we, that everything will be made right? When you watch the news, or when you go through a struggle, or when, when the doctor says something scary, and you're just like, when will this be made right? Or when your, when your kids rebel, or when your heart is far from God, or when you struggle with that sin for the 50th time, the 50 millionth time, aren't you saying, when? When will, when will this be made right? So that, let's, not, let's not dog them for asking this question but they they're, they have a misunderstanding cuz they're wanting just like us we want it now right you go through the drive through at McDonald's and it's not ready and you got to pull up a little bit further for them to cook the fries okay sort maybe cook them i don't know if they do anymore right? i don't know okay and they're like i got places to be man you got a full meal of sorts it's going to be three minutes as opposed to one, and you we get it, I mean, am I, am I right? Minute popcorn? There's this great new commercial that Apple put out about the cookie monster waiting for the cookies. I don't know if you've seen that. And he made cookies, and they waiting for him to bake, and he's like, oh, cookie. And then all of us that sorry, that just happened. And it's been 15 seconds. He asks Siri, how much longer has it been until the cookies? He's like, it's been 15 seconds. You've got 14 minutes left. No! That is how we want life. That's how we want things. But that is not how God operates. He operates on his timetable, which is far better. And so they ask this question, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he answers them in a way they do not like or at least maybe they weren't expecting. Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I want to read that again, because apparently this this has been, amongst the Christian church in the last several hundred years, this has been the most missed verse in the entire Bible by many quote-unquote Bible scholars. He said to them, Jesus, right before the ascension, the risen Jesus, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There has been a phenomenon, and it's very dangerous to the Christian church, of people predicting the time and place that Jesus will return. This is not true i don't care who it is it's not true because if they predict it it's not going to be when it happens you know why because jesus said that no man knows the times or seasons when this is about to happen and this is a scourge on the church i believe because it takes our it makes us into doomsday preppers and not into missionaries you've seen that show doomsday preppers maybe you have where they're just getting ready for the apocalypse to come and they're getting ready, and they, they, they hoard food, and they get a bomb shelter, and they do all this kind of stuff, and they're waiting for the inevitable to happen. I know a guy, not here, because some of you are like, who is it, okay? I know a guy who carries a bug out bag in case the zombie apocalypse happens. I'm not kidding. Somebody told me that, and I was like, yeah, right, and it's like, no, it's serious, and I started noticing the cat was carrying around the bag. I'm like, I don't know what's in there, okay? What do you carry for a zombie apocalypse? A zombie apocalypse? Really? Do you know Walking Dead's like fake, right? And I want you to get this. They are wanting to know when things will be made right. They'd like it now, is the implication of the question. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. They want a time for, Wouldn't we all like to know? We think about your life. Wouldn't you like to know how it's gonna be? What's gonna be next? So not to be surprised by anything? make is boring, but we'd all like to know it. Especially when bad times come. What's God's, what's your plan in this? I, Jesus says, they said, Hey, is this the time that you're gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, It's not for you to know the times and the seasons of my restoration when when everything's gonna be made right. It's not for you, but know this. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The, the coming of Christ, the return and the restoration of the world has been fixed, appointed, set by God the Father. It will happen. And it will happen the way he has chosen to do it. That's what, this, that's what that word fixed means. It has been established that it's going to happen. So it's a done deal. So what does it really matter if you know the timetable? Plus, he said, no man will know. What does it say? Let's make sure we read this again. It is not for you, disciples, followers of Jesus. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There was a man by the name of Edgar Wisenitz. And he was a former rocket scientist, and he worked for NASA. And he got his Bible out, and he did some calculations. And you're thinking, whoa, this guy could obviously do calculations. What, are you a rocket scientist? Yeah, yeah, that's what he was, okay? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> that would be like, what, are you a brain surgeon? Absolutely I am. Okay, we have a friend who's a brain surgeon. You're like, you say that, and yes, I am a brain surgeon. Well, okay, you have some credentials, okay? This guy would obviously have credentials with calculations. Am I right? NASA, rocket scientist, it's one, that's, one, that's our go-to. What, well, are you a rocket scientist? This guy would be like, yes, I am. Thanks for asking. So what he did is he got the Bible out, and in the summer of 1988, he predicted that Jesus retur- would return, gave us a date, September the 12th, 1988, what year is it right now? Did Jesus come back? He was, and he passed out. Now, this is scary. They had a, the, this book sent to 300,000 pastors for free, and it sold. The book he wrote about this, which is called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. That's the name of the book that he wrote. He wrote two of them was bought by 4.5 million people. And it caused quite a stir. Guess what? He didn't show up in 1988. Then he realizes, oh, I made a miscalculation. So what does he do? He says, it was obviously, I miscalculated the Jewish calendar, and it should be on September the 1st, 1989. We'll still here, Okay. Right? Going on. Jesus hadn't come back yet. Rosh Hashanah, He also it was a Jewish, Jewish time period, and, and he, was also, he also predicted this would happen in 1990, 1991, and 1992. Then he gave it up. This happens again and again and again in the church. If you are following somebody, and they predict, they predict a specific date and time that Jesus will return, they are a false prophet. They might be right on other things, but that is not true. Do you know where I get that from? What Jesus said in Acts 1-7, that no man will know the times and the seasons. Times and seasons means nobody's going to know the exact time when it happens. Then Jesus returns. It's clear. And here's the problem. I I want you to know this. We do this, it it, it occurs every few years by people who want to sell books, okay? And I think people who are genuine, genuinely thinking they have figured something out on the best, some people just want to sell books, and it happens in different ways. They'll say, well, we've recalculated, and the year of Jubilee is going to happen on this time. And we can look at the astronomical calendar, and we can see that this is going to happen, and these stars are going to appear in the sky, and this and that and this and that, and Jesus is going to come back on this day or this time of week. I get these in the mail, Pastor. Come to our prophetic seminar, where you're going to find out when Jesus going to return. I I got it. You know when he's going to return? When the Father says. And to waste time on doing any of that other things, all you know what all it does is gives us another thing to argue about, and we got plenty of those. It's foolishness, and it hurts the church. It really does hurt the church. Because Jesus made it very clear that no man's going to know the time when He returns. So that gives you a freebie right there. Secondly, you know what else it does? It causes us, and I want you to be warned about this. It causes us when we believe something like this, when we believe those lies that, oh, Jesus is going to return, and you know, to, you know, uh, the end of this year, okay, November of 2016, Jesus is coming. I, I think I can count in my lifetime how many times I've heard that Jesus is coming on this particular day. I think I've had, it, I know about at least 15 since I've been following Jesus, that I know people have said, it's going to happen this day, it's going to happen this day, okay? It, you know what it, it usually does to the people who follow these, these people who claim to have a date. It usually makes them prep and get ready for Jesus' return in a way that the Bible tells us not, doesn't, doesn't mention to prep. Some of them, depending on their theological bent, will start stockpiling things. Some of them will, and this this has happened. Some of them will get their kids out of school and go on an extended vacation, use all their savings up, and like Jesus come back. Where do I want to be found when Jesus comes back? Disney World, woo! Okay, I'm not kidding. This has been documented. This, people do this, and I'm and uh, listen, I'm not mad at those people. who Are making fun of them? It's sad that these teachers teach this. That's very clear that no man will know. And what it does is I want you to get this. Beware of any theology, any doctrine, any understanding of the Scriptures that pulls you off from the major mission of God. Now, where do you get that, Matt? That's a pretty bold claim to beware of any doctrinal belief and, and, and any, anything uh, that, is, that, that goes against taking you off the mission of God. Where do you get that from? I want to show you this in verse 7. It says this. I want to read it again. Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority, but there's emphasis on this conjunction in the original language, but, so that means in contrast to worrying about when Jesus is going to return, here is what I want you to do, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. And you will be, will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They ask the question. What's the question that they ask? The question is. Is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? Or is this when we're going to see a return of Christ? Is this when we're going to see the return of the rule and reign of God? Or is this going to be the time where everything is made right, where God reigns, the the guilty will be punished, the righteous will be exalted? When is that time coming? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, because the, the Father's already appointed it. But don't worry and, and try to calculate, and try to scheme, and try to figure it out. But what are you supposed to do? First off, he notes the, fact, the reality that the Holy Spirit will come upon the Christians. And this story in the book of Acts that helps us understand the aftermath, the story of the disciples after Easter, he says that the Holy Spirit will come. It's going to happen in Acts chapter 2. It's already happened in previous. We as the church have the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who indwells a believer He's already come, and so he says this, that when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jer- Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what? I'm backing up this statement that I just made, that you need to be aware of any doctrine or theology that takes you off the core mission, because why? Jesus said it's not for you to know the times and the seasons But what are you going to do? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to go through all of the known world, Judea, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So here's the deal. Jesus has given us this missionary mission, which we've already seen. We looked at it in Matthew chapter 28, okay? You've probably heard this before. Jesus says this, and Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth, this is Matthew 28, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. This is just an addendum to that when you see Acts one where he says, "You don't worry about the times and the seasons. Don't get distracted. Do you know how easily it is to get distracted? I have the worst problem with that ever. And if you've ever had a conversation with me, you probably figured that out. I have a distraction issue, okay? I mean, you might too. And, and so something could happen and you squirrel, okay, and you see that and you just, you just get off topic. Anybody else ever done that before? I hope you have, okay? Maybe you don't. Maybe you've got like laser focus. Good for you. But I don't have that. And I want you to know something, that there are many distractions, one of which can be doctrine that is copious at best. There are many distractions that keep us off the mission of God. I highlighted one a minute ago that disciples were distracted about when Jesus would come and restore everything. And what he say? it's not for you to know, but it's for you to be on my mission of being a witness. So we have a mission, which is to take this gospel, to take this truth of Easter, to live in this truth of Easter, to not be like the store and put Easter away and get ready for the next thing. No, it's to take this truth of Easter and use it as the fuel for us and the message for us to take all throughout the world to make other followers and disciples of Jesus because of what he has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. We are not to be distracted by the myriad of things that can distract us, church and individual, but we are supposed to be about that mission. In fact, I want to challenge you this way, to keep Jesus' marching orders at the forefront of your mind. If many of you, I've probably talked about this before, my dad was in the Air Force for 20 years. I grew up as a military brat, okay, I don't know why they called us brats, but maybe, that, maybe we fit the bill, okay? So we were taken all over the place. We lived in Gainesville, Florida. I know some of you want to throw stuff at me, okay, right now. <laughs> okay, if you don't know where that is, you're probably not a UT fan. Um, <laughs> I had a joke, but I'm not going to say it because I want everybody to be like, Rocky Top and leave, okay? The uh, I moved from Gainesville, Florida, I was born there, moved to Panama City, Florida not too bad of places to move. And then, we, then the orders come for my dad to move to Guam. If you don't know where Guam is, just take a globe or go on Google Maps and type it in there, and it's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's 30 miles by 30 miles. 30 miles long, 30 miles wide. It's a blip. It's a green blip in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. A World War II battle was fought there. It, there you go, Guam. Why on earth would people who were, my folks were from South Alabama, I'm a Floridian by birth, okay? I bleed orange juice, all right? Not true. Um, <laughs> that was a bad joke. Um, <laughs> you have to recognize it when it's like, that's really dumb. Why would we move to the Pacific Ocean? Well, the, the military, the Air Force said, you have two options. You can go to the Azores, which is off of the coast of Portugal, or you go to the Pacific Ocean. Thank God my dad decided to go let us live in Hawaii light, is what I call Guam, okay? We go to palm palm trees everywhere. I mean, we were at the beach every day because we lived on a tropical island. It rocked, okay? It was, what can I say? We moved to the Pacific Ocean. Why? Because the military gave him orders. He could have said, nope. Then he would have been court-martialed, and probably spent a lot of time in federal prison. Why? That was marching orders. So then, from Guam, we moved to Colorado Springs. That's a jump. Tropical island, the Rockies. Okay, that's what. And why do we move from? And our family's all in and Florida, in the Panhandle, of Florida, and in and in South Alabama and Georgia. And we move out to Guam, and they're real happy about that. And then we move back to, to Colorado. That's a big jump. We had to buy jackets and throw away the flip-flops, and it was, it was wild. And why do we do that? And I'm just belaboring this point here is because there have been orders given by an authority. You break those things, you're in disobedience, and there will be ramifications. Now, you can see those, that disobedience immediately when you're talking in a military context because you will definitely receive ramifications and, and consequences for that quickly. However, we often take the commands of Jesus as, as things that we can or cannot obey. But he told us not to worry about the times and the seasons, but to know that we would receive power, that we would be empowered by God for this mission, which he calls of being a witness. This word, witness, this word we get the word martyr from. Martyr is one who dies for their witness. This does not necessarily mean at this point that Jesus is calling out martyrs, but it does mean that there will be, and the reason we get this is that witnesses sometimes end up getting hurt. And all of these disciples will be, most of them, besides one, will be a martyr witness, someone who declares what Jesus has done. And I think Eric mentioned, Eric Reed when we had our revival, mentioned this, and I would like to reiterate it yet again, is that you don't have to know some kind of slick evangelism presentation to tell somebody the gospel, although those are can be helpful things. If you understand that sin separates us from God and makes us the object of God's wrath and that Jesus was the Son of God who came and He bore that on the cross so that all who believe in Him and trust in Him might have everlasting life, if you, if you know that, you can be a witness, which means it's say something by which you have knowledge about. And how would you have knowledge of it? Well, remember what Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. He said that to Thomas, the one who touched his side after his resurrection. And he's saying that in the sense this, many of us, we have witnessed and experienced the life change that the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, we have witnessed it firsthand firsthand. And there's room to improve and there's room to get in your, into the scriptures and, and, and to be a better witness. But I want you to know something, that it has to start here because we want to be obedient to Jesus, right? Not out of duty, but he rose. He's alive. It is true. This is not make-believe. We're not just putting on airs. This is real life. He, as surely as he is risen, this message needs to be out. And That was his command. Don't worry about when I'm going to restore everything. Don't worry about when I'm coming. Don't worry about that. What you need to be worried about is that the Holy Spirit's going to empower you and you need to be my witness. So start now where you are. This is not just for pastors. This is for everyone. It's to be a witness where you are and then to have a goal of going other places. Where do you get that, Matt? I see it in the passage because here he says, you're going to be my witnesses in several different locations, okay? He says this, in Jerusalem, which is the town that they're, where they're close to it, but that's been the town where they're residing is Jerusalem. And all Judea, that's the area around it, kind of like the state, if you will. Samaria is the next state over. And then it says, just in case we, don't, we forget this, to all the ends of the world, now, this serves as an outline for the book of Acts because basically you have the gospel coming. You have the Holy Spirit coming in Acts 2 and 3. Then you have, what well, you have after that? You have um, the gospel in Jerusalem, and then persecution comes, and the gospel goes out to the ends of the world. And then you see Paul being a missionary. That's kind of an outline for the book of Acts, but really it's what we we're supposed to be doing. We we're supposed to be his witnesses that start here where we are, and we we're supposed to move out on mission to take the gospel and the good news of the resurrected Jesus to the world. To the ends of the world. It's very funny, he uses the word last. Eschaton, which we use in the word eschatology, which we get in the study of the end times of the last things. He's saying, basically, go to the very last corner of the world and tell this good news about me being raised from the dead. Now, most of us don't wake up in the morning, come to the mirror, get ready for work, and maybe you get up and you drag yourself to that mirror, okay, like I do. I'm not a morning person. If you call me early in the morning, it's going to have deep, scary voice like, Hello. I'm It's going to be Darth Vader. Oh, hello. I mean, I don't like it, but I, you wake up and you go to the sink, you're getting ready, you're brushing your teeth, and you're getting ready for the day. Most of the time you don't look in there and be like, I'm taking the gospel to the ends of the earth today, Maybe you do, okay? If you do, we need to get you involved in helping us with missions, okay? That's that. But here's the thing. The gospel is supposed to go through the ends of the world to, from, from where we are, start where we are, and to take it. And we as disciples have this mission. We as the church have this mission to take the gospel, this good news about what Jesus has done in his resurrection, to take it to the ends of the world. And I want you to know, when we wake up, sometimes, and if you're like me, you get distracted, and what you're thinking about when you wake up that day is, i got to call the plumber because this is leaking, okay? <laughs> i got to take the kids over here. Oh, my goodness, the kids have lice. Where do they get lice, okay? Oh, my goodness, this, this doctor's appointment's happening this week. Oh, no, this is happening, this is happening. And before you know it, you're so consumed with yourself that you can't see anything else but your problems and the immediate things that are dark around you. And here's what the Bible does. It continually recalibrates us to think rightly about why we're on the earth. And so, how can we be about this life of mission when we're so easily distracted? Number one, I'll give you this, Bible intake. What is that? A lot of times we don't read the Bible because we think, well, I don't have time to get real spiritual right now, okay? I don't have time to get on my prayer shawl, okay? I don't have time to get in my closet and go down on this thing. But I want you to know something. What if you just started reading it or getting a Bible on CD? You can even get Johnny Cash reading the Bible to you on CD or MP3 player, okay? I mean, that'd be fun, like, you know, I'll walk the line, okay? And then well, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all right? So, I mean, you can get that going on, all right? Just in taking the Bible, then just, just start to read it wherever you are and just try to get in there and keep reading and keep reading and keep reading. Because here is one thing we are a biblically illiterate society. And And sadly, we are a biblically illiterate church. And because of that, we get upset and angry and and we, not upset and angry, but sometimes we get off the point of church and mission because we're not constantly staying in what the Bible says is church and mission. And so what we do is we supplant what church and mission is with our own feelings and our own thinking. And then what happens? When the church is made in our own image, it's a jacked up mess. That's a theological term, jacked up mess, by the way. And what the Bible does is when we're constantly in it, it continues to recalibrate and to put our life right on the path of where he was going. And so the more we read the Scriptures, the more we stay in the Scriptures, the more we will see the heart of God, especially when we apply the creation, fall, redemption, uh, understanding, a uh, restoration, understanding to help us understand the Bible. There was, a, there was a movie that came out not too long ago called Hercules, okay? And the guy who was in the movie was The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. If you've ever seen The Rock? He's a big dude. Former professional wrestler, former football player at the University of Miami, and he is a gigantic muscle head. And recently in 2014, when he was getting ready for this movie, they did a they did a documentary where some guy tried to eat the same thing he did to get as big and ripped and muscular as he did. Tried to do the workout routine and try to eat. The guy was eating between 25 and 30,000 calories. But that's not Cheetos, okay? It was all lean protein and vegetables. Do you know how much you have to eat of lean protein and vegetables to get 25 to 30,000 calories a day? The guy ate from the time he woke up to the time he went to sleep. He started the day with a 10-ounce steak and 11 egg whites, and then five ounces uncooked oatmeal. That was starting your day off, then he had to eat a meal after workout there's eight meals you can go look this up i promise you that there's no way you could get that big and ripped without doing that like i would know but i'm saying what they did okay you know like let me state the obvious there's no way that this church can be what jesus wants it to be if we are not continually recalibrating our hearts and minds by intaking the bible So right first, before we go to quality, let's just get quantity in there. Here's your challenge. Here's your throwdown thing, okay? This is not the guilt trip. This is just me encouraging you in the sense of if you want to grow, read the book because it's the very word of God. And how can you wake up every morning and remember that that you're called to be a witness and that your life is about more than just getting the things done you have to get done? You wake up and you get recalibrated to what you're supposed to do and your purpose by seeing that Jesus says, Don't worry about when I'm coming, but you, Spirit of God, is going to come upon you and empower you to be my witnesses to all the world. And then, secondly, here is the other way that you can, that you can follow your marching orders and you can live a life on mission and not be distracted. It's the second way is this participate in mission. First off, I want you to know something. We as a church, um, and we talk to the elder body, and when, we get, when you give money, Um, to this church a portion of that goes to help us share the gospel throughout the world it starts off we give to the Bledsoe Baptist Association okay and uh, we give a certain percentage to them and from there it goes to Tennessee Baptists. and what do the, the what does the Bledsoe Baptist and the Tennessee Baptist Association do they work to spread churches to 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 multiply the church in Tennessee. Secondly, we give it to North American Mission Board, which North American Mission Board works to make to plant churches, can you guess, in North America, okay? Not only that, we give money every time we we, we give a certain percentage that goes to the International Mission Board, which they take the gospel all over the world. They have missionaries everywhere, all over the place. They have missionaries in some places. They can't even give, when they commission the missionaries to go, they can't even give their last names because if their last names got out, they could be killed in the countries they are because they're in closed countries sharing the gospel. All over the world. So we're getting involved with that. But we have to be more involved. You know why? Because Jesus told us that was our mission. And these marching orders are not optional, but they're commands. And so most of us really do have a heart to take this gospel because we've seen it as so glorious and so great that we were sinners. And by His grace, He washed us clean. And through his resurrection, we now have life. And now we've been involved by the Spirit. Most of us want to do that. Our problem is not that we want to actively be disobedient. Our problem is that we're distracted. And I want to tell you the way to overcome distraction is Bible intake, to have your mind recalibrated correctly. And secondly, is just to get involved in mission. First off, know something. You are a missionary. My boy Vincent over here just got a job at O'Reilly Auto Parts. I didn't even ask you. I'm embarrassing him right now. Vincent, that is awesome. I... They're going to give you money to work at O'Reilly's Auto Parts, which he also likes to work at Auto Parts. He's going to be a mechanic, okay? So it's right up his alley. But you know something? That job is not only a job by which you will feed your family. It is a mission field. Many of you are playing, your kids are playing sports, and there are some people out there that take it way too seriously, okay? (laughs) Guaranteed. You got to hit that, Timmy. I'm in playing T-ball. You got to do this. College is on the line, okay? You know, simmer down, dude. That is your mission field, where you are. Because where does it start? You were Disciples, you're in Jerusalem, moved to Judea, moved to Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Our job as elders in this church is to model a lifestyle of mission And to encourage this group to be on mission where you are and then push you out from where you are to where you're going. And that's what we want to do to ourselves, to push ourselves. You know why? The gospel needs to go to the end of the world because it's the only hope. Not only is it the only hope for forgiveness of sins and right relationship with God and freedom from eternal punishment, but it is the most glorifying thing to God. For what Jesus has done, he deserves all honor and glory and praise forever because he did not have to leave heaven. We went our own way. We enjoyed our own way even though it was crushing to our souls. We rebelled against God and rightfully we were children who deserved punishment eternally apart from him. But praise be to God and his goodness. Before the foundation of the world, he sent his son, the perfect lamb of God, to the earth to take on human flesh, to, to live a perfect life, to die as a substitute for sin, to bear the wrath of God, and to be raised on the third day. For forgiveness of sins and life and that is God for that deserves all the glory. And if you will see in this passage, there is a glorious ascension that happens if you would look in verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So as he's saying this and he's finishing it up, then he starts ascending. That's a drop the mic moment if there ever was one. He's ascending, and what does it say? He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. It was like the glory cloud coming and receiving Jesus. And then it says in verse 10, and they were gazing into heaven as he went. I think I would be doing the exact same thing. The risen Jesus, which is... Note who gets up from the dead, standing before them. He's shown that he is the Messiah, and then he starts ascending, and the clouds receive him, and everybody is breaking their neck. If it rained, they would have drowned. I want you to get this. The mission is here. Don't get distracted. And don't be discouraged because here's the thing, Jesus in his ascension, it shows and proves that he is at the right hand of God and that he is king. No matter how tough it gets for us to take this message, no matter if it costs us life, limb, or whatever, no matter what, he is on the throne and he is in control and he is worthy of whatever sacrifice is due. He has prepared a place for us. He is worth the sacrifice of being on mission and he is also the one who will sustain us in the tough times when we live on mission. Why? Because he's ascended and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Paul, uh, Peter would talk about this in Acts 2.33. And so we also see this. Look on with me at the end of verse 10. And while they were gazing up into heaven, okay, I can imagine this is like a real gaze. Like what are you guys, if somebody walked by, what are you guys looking at? Remember, no planes, okay? Just staring up at heaven. Can't believe what they saw and behold two men stood beside them in white robes obviously angelic beings and he said men of galilee why do you stand looking into heaven and i can imagine if there was a smart aleck in him i was like did you see what happened jesus like blue that's pretty awesome Says they ask the question, men of Galilee, why do, you stand, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you in heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Two things we can take away from this. First off, the question means, hey, don't be discouraged. He's coming again. His ascension... And in his, his, his seat right next to the Father shows his reign and rule. But it also speaks to the fact that he's coming again. He came the first time as a humble servant. He's coming the next time with glory fully displayed as the sovereign king. And he will make things right. In the intervening time, what's our duty? Is it to sit there and what is our, what's our mission? Is it to sit there and to figure out exactly when he's coming? no is it to is it to make you know is it to make the the best bible studies we could possibly make is it to to make the biggest church buildings we could possibly make is it to to make sure we have a lot of people is what is it our mission until he comes again is to be a witness of what he has done to all the world to all the world church and when we get discouraged we remember he's ascended and when we get beat down, we remember he's coming again. And when all hope seems lost, we know that it is not because he is in control at the right hand of the Father on the throne, and he will return. He says, so in saying, men of Galilee, don't worry, he's coming back. He's coming back. If you notice in the, in the scriptures, there is a very, there's a call when they talk about Jesus' return, it's talked about be, being ready. Being ready does not mean being a doomsday prepper, okay? Being ready means being on mission. How do you want to be found in that last hour when Jesus returns? Do you want to be found? Well, I, 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 I believe this guy who had a, you know, he calculated and so I spent all my money to go to Disney World. Even if that was true, can you imagine? How did you spend your last time on Earth before I came back? Was you, were, you, were you doing what I said? No, I was on a roller coaster. No, I was hoarding beans. No, I was being afraid of everything, and telling everybody else to be afraid and miserable. What were you doing? You ever think about that when you're a kid and your parent walk in the room and like you had the hand in the cookie jar like Can You imagine? What did you do? What were you doing before I showed up? Last little bit of your life on earth, were you following a mission? No, I was too busy with this or that or too consumed by my own life. He's coming. Be ready. I don't know when. You don't either. So you know what you do? You be ready for when, they do sh- when he does show up. Secondly, this was kind of like one of those moments. One of the last times we saw these guys in white, they said, hey, why are you seeking the living amongst the dead, giving? Hey, he's alive. Get out of here don't need to hang around in the tombs, tomb, tombs anymore. This is kind of this for these guys. Hey, he's coming back. Go do what he says. Flee. Go. Go do it. Go. Do it. Church. We have such a great responsibility we have such a great opportunity we have such a great privilege As we were once sinners and he brought us into his marvelous light and he's made us children of light, he has made us a city on a hill to proclaim his excellencies to the world, to talk about his resurrection to the world, to make this message known to the world. And we get a partner with him. Let us not be distracted by the things of this world or faulty doctrines or men who would try to get us off course. But may we... Be people about the mission of witnessing of the glorious grace of Jesus expressed through the cross, expressed through the resurrection, and expressed through the power of the Spirit that is in his believers. Let us be witnesses. Let us not go and be those who are found not ready. But let us be those who are anticipating the coming of Jesus, but until he comes, let us work our fingers to the bone, and let us shed our blood, and let us sacrifice, and let us tell and witness the good news. Where is it going to start? Is it going to start with you tomorrow selling your house and moving to Ecuador, or moving to to, to some other place, to Vietnam, or something like that? Probably not, okay? If it does happen, you talk to me. We'll talk. We'll pray together, okay? Make sure that's what God's calling you to do. But here's what I want you to get. It starts small. It starts with a commitment to be a missionary where you are. Because it starts in Jerusalem. Then it goes to Judea. Then it goes from out from there to Samaria. And then it goes to the ends of the world. God, would you give us a heart for that? The way we're going to end this service today is with a, a prayer and communion. In communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until his return. Church, that is our job, to take it to the world, to proclaim his death until he becomes. If you would, we're going to bow together for prayer. I'm going to pray, then we're going to hand out the communion elements, and then we'll enter into a time of prayer until all the elements are handed out, and Kevin will lead us, but let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you for the gospel of Christ. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are thankful for your grace and your mercy. We are just thankful people. God, we are also sent people. Use your word to shape our minds towards mission. Make our feet be swift to hear, or our feet be swift to act once we hear. God, raise up missionaries. Make me me a missionary. Make all of our members and those who hear and believe, make them missionaries. God, just work. We pray that your gospel would go out to the world. Help us be a part of that. Give us boldness to proclaim. Make us your witnesses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.